Chapter Five of the Ball and the Cross. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Ball and the Cross by G. K. Chesterton. Chapter Five: The Peacemaker. When the combatants with crossed swords became suddenly conscious of a third party, they each made the same movement. It was as quick as the snap of a pistol, and they altered it instantaneously and recovered their original pose but they had both made it, they had both seen it, and they both knew what it was. It was not a movement of anger at being interrupted. Say or think what they would, it was a movement of relief. A force within them, and yet quite beyond them, seemed slowly and piteously washing away the adamant of their oath. As mistaken lovers might watch the inevitable sunset of first love, these men watched the sunset of their first hatred. Their hearts were growing weaker and weaker against each other. When their weapons rang and reposted in the little London garden, they could have been very certain that if a third party had interrupted them, something at least would have happened. They would have killed each other, or they would have killed him. But now nothing could undo or deny that flash of fact that for a second they had been glad to be interrupted. Some new and strange thing was rising higher and higher in their hearts like a high sea at night. It was something that seemed all the more merciless, because it might turn out an enormous mercy. Was there, perhaps, some such fatalism in friendship as all lovers talk about in love? Did God make men love each other against their will? I'm sure you'll excuse my speaking to you, said the stranger, in a voice at once eager and deprecating. The voice was too polite for good manners. It was incongruous with the eccentric spectacle of the duelists, which ought to have startled a sane and free man. It was also incongruous with the full and healthy, though rather loose physique of the man who spoke. At the first glance he looked a fine animal, with curling gold beard and hair, and blue eyes unusually bright. It was only at the second glance that the mind felt a sudden and perhaps unmeaning irritation, at the way in which the gold beard retreated backwards into the waistcoat, and the way in which the finely shaped nose went forward as if smelling its way. And it was only, perhaps, at the hundredth glance that the bright blue eyes, which normally before and after the instant seemed brilliant with intelligence, seemed as it were to be brilliant with idiocy. He was a heavy, healthy-looking man, who looked all the larger because of the loose, light-colored clothes that he wore, and that had in their extreme lightness and looseness almost a touch of the tropics. But a closer examination of his attire would have shown that even in the tropics it would have been unique, but it was all woven according to some hygienic texture which no human being had ever heard of before, and which was absolutely necessary even for a day's health. He wore a huge broad-rimmed hat, equally hygienic, very much at the back of his head, and his voice coming out of so heavy and hearty a type of man was, as I have said, startlingly shrill and deferential. "'I'm sure you'll excuse my speaking to you,' he said. "'Now I wonder if you are in some little difficulty which, after all, we could settle very comfortably together. Now you don't mind my saying this, do you?' The face of both combatants remained somewhat solid under this appeal, but the stranger, probably taking their silence for a gathering shame, continued with a kind of gaiety. 
so you are the young men I have read about in the papers. Well, of course, when one is young, one is rather romantic. Do you know what I always say to young people? A blank silence followed this gay inquiry. Then Turnbull said in a colorless voice, As I was forty-seven last birthday, I probably came into the world too soon for the experience. Very good, very good, said the friendly person. Dry Scotch humor, dry Scotch humor. Well now, I understand that you two people want to fight a duel. I suppose you aren't much up in the modern world. We've quite outgrown dueling, you know. In fact, Tolstoy tells us that we shall soon outgrow war, which he says is simply a duel between nations. A duel between nations. But there is no doubt about our having outgrown dueling. Waiting for some effect upon his wooden auditors, the stranger stood beaming for a moment, and then resumed. Now they tell me in the papers that you are really wanting to fight about something connected with Roman Catholicism. Now do you know what I always say to Roman Catholics? No, said Turnbull heavily. Do they? It seemed to be a characteristic of the hardy, hygienic gentleman that he always forgot the speech he had made the moment before. Without enlarging further on the fixed form of his appeal to the Church of Rome, he laughed cordially at Turnbull's answer. Then his wandering blue eyes caught the sunlight on the swords, and he assumed a good-humored gravity. But you know this is a serious matter, he said, eyeing Turnbull and McKeon, as if they had just been keeping the table in a roar with their frivolities. I am sure that if I appealed to your higher natures, your higher natures, every man has a higher nature and a lower nature. Now let us put the matter very plainly, and without any romantic nonsense about honor or anything of that sort. Is not bloodshed a great sin? No, said McKeon, speaking for the first time. Well, really, really, said the peacemaker. Murder is a sin, said the immovable Highlander. There is no sin of bloodshed. Well, we won't quarrel about a word, said the other pleasantly. Why on earth not, said McKeon, with a sudden asperity. Why shouldn't we quarrel about a word? What is the good of words if they aren't important enough to quarrel over? Why do we choose one word more than another if there isn't any difference between them? If you called a woman a chimpanzee instead of an angel, wouldn't there be a quarrel about a word? If you're not going to argue about words, what are you going to argue about? Are you going to convey your meaning to me by moving your ears? The church and the heresies always used to fight about words, because they are the only things worth fighting about. I say that murder is a sin, and bloodshed is not, and that there is as much difference between those words as there is between the word yes and the word no, or rather more difference, for yes and no at least belong to the same category. Murder is a spiritual incident. Bloodshed is a physical incident. A surgeon commits bloodshed. Ah, you're a casuist said the large man, wagging his head. Now, do you know what I always say to casuists? McKeon made a violent gesture, and Turnbull broke into open laughter. The peacemaker did not seem to be in the least annoyed, but continued in unabated enjoyment. Well, well, he said, let us get back to the point. Now Tolstoy has shown that force is no remedy. 
so you see the position in which I am placed. I am doing my best to stop what I'm sure you won't mind my calling this really useless violence, this really quite wrong violence of yours. But it's against my principles to call in the police against you, because the police are still on a lower moral plane, so to speak, because, in short, the police undoubtedly sometimes employ force. Tolstoy has shown that violence merely breeds violence in the person towards whom it is used, whereas love, on the other hand, breeds love. So you see how I am placed. I am reduced to use love in order to stop you. I am obliged to use love. He gave to the word an indescribable sound of something hard and heavy, as if he were saying boots. Turnbull suddenly gripped his sword and said shortly, I see how you are placed quite well, sir. You will not call the police. Mr. McKeon, shall we engage? McKeon plucked his sword out of the grass. I must and will stop this shocking crime, cried the Tolstoyan, crimson in the face. It is against all modern ideas. It is against the principle of love. How you, sir, who pretend to be a Christian? McKeon turned upon him with a white face and bitter lip. Sir, he said, talk about the principle of love as much as you like. You seem to me colder than a lump of stone. But I am willing to believe that you may at some time have loved a cat or a dog or a child. When you were a baby, I suppose you loved your mother. Talk about love, then, till the world is sick of the word. But don't you talk about Christianity. Don't you dare to say one word, white or black, about it. Christianity is, as far as you are concerned, a horrible mystery. Keep clear of it, keep silent upon it, as you would upon an abomination. It is a thing that has made men slay and torture each other, and you will never know why. It is a thing that has made men do evil that good might come, and you will never understand the evil, let alone the good. Christianity is a thing that could only make you vomit, till you are other than you are. I would not justify it to you, even if I could. Hate it, in God's name, as Turnbull does, who is a man. It is a monstrous thing for which men die. And if you will stand here and talk about love for another ten minutes, it is very probable that you will see a man die for it. And he fell on guard. Turnbull was busy settling something loose in his elaborate hilt, and the pause was broken by the stranger. Suppose I call the police, he said with a heated face. And deny your most sacred dogma, said McKeon. Dogma, cried the man in a sort of dismay. Oh, we have no dogmas, you know. There was another silence, and he said again airily, You know, I think, there's something in what Shaw teaches about no moral principles being quite fixed. Have you ever read The Quintessence of Ibsenism? Of course he went very wrong over the war. Turnbull, with a bent, flushed face, was tying up the loose piece of the pommel with string. With the string in his teeth, he said, Oh, make up your damned mind and clear out. It's a serious thing, said the philosopher, shaking his head. I must be alone and consider which is the higher point of view. I rather feel that in a case so extreme as this, and he went slowly away. As he disappeared among the trees, they heard him murmuring in a sing-song voice, New occasions teach new duties, out of a poem by James Russell Lowell.
Ah, said MacIan, drawing a deep breath, don't you believe in prayer now? I prayed for an angel. An hour ago, said the Highlander in his heavy meditative voice, I felt the devil weakening my heart and my oath against you, and I prayed that God would send an angel to my aid. Well, inquired the other, finishing his mending and wrapping the rest of the string round his hand to get a firmer grip. Well? Well, that man was an angel, said MacIan. I didn't know they were as bad as that, answered Turnbull. We know that devils sometimes quote scripture and counterfeit good, replied the mystic. Why should not angels sometimes come to show us the black abyss of evil on whose brink we stand? If that man had not tried to stop us, I might, I might have stopped. I know what you mean, said Turnbull grimly. But then he came, broke out MacIan, and my soul said to me, Give up fighting and you will become like that. Give up vows and dogmas and fixed things and you may grow like that. You may learn also that fog of false philosophy. You may grow fond of that mire of crawling, cowardly morals, and you may come to think a blow bad because it hurts, and not because it humiliates. You may come to think murder wrong because it is violent, and not because it is unjust. O oh, you blasphemer of the good, an hour ago I almost loved you. But do not fear for me now. I have heard the word love pronounced in his intonation, and I know exactly what it means. On guard! The swords caught on each other with a dreadful clang and jar, full of the old energy and hate, and at once plunged and replunged. Once more each man's heart had become the magnet of a mad sword. Suddenly, furious as they were, they were frozen for a moment motionless. "'What noise is that?' said the Highlander hoarsely. "'I think I know,' replied Turnbull. "'What? What?' cried the other." The student of Shaw and Tolstoy has made up his remarkable mind, said Turnbull quietly. The police are coming up the hill. End of chapter 5 Recording by Tricia G.